Well, I invite you to open to our scripture passage today, which is uh, Luke 11, uh, 1 to 13, Luke 11, 1 to 13. And as you're turning there, uh, we are, we finished our series through the book of Exodus a couple weeks ago, and before kicking off our next series uh, through another book of the Bible, we thought we would take some time to talk about the landmarks of our church. Uh, so if you've ever been on a long journey where you can't see the destination, uh, you will use landmarks to help orient you and make sure you're headed in the right direction, right? So maybe you can't see the beach, but you know, as long as I keep heading uh, towards those mountains or keep those mountains to my left, eventually I'll hit the beach or even here in the valley, right? We use the mountains to help orient us and know which way uh, is east and west. And in a similar way, God has given us landmarks on the Christian journey to help make sure that we are headed in the right direction. And so those landmarks that, uh, as we've described them here at this church, are, are you worshiping, praying, discipling, and sharing? And so we are spending one week looking at each one of those things. And I would encourage you to use those landmarks and kind of turn them into questions, like diagnostics on your own spiritual life, right? Am I worshiping? Uh, am I participating in public worship? Am I worshiping throughout the week? Am I discipling? Am I helping someone else follow Jesus more? Am I sharing my gifts and resources with the church? Am I praying? Maybe you could even rank them. Which ones am I doing best on? Which am I doing worst on? Uh, our kids, when it's report card time, they also do a, a self-assessment report card where they have to give themselves either a smiley face, a straight line face, or a frown face on how they're doing in different areas. You could even do the same here. Hey, where do you have a smiley face? Uh, where do you have a frown face? Where do you need to spend a little bit more time? Maybe reorienting or adjusting your life to be in line and headed towards these landmarks that God has given us. And so this morning, we are looking at the landmark of prayer. And with that, let's read the first 13 verses of Luke 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help teach us to pray, as Jesus taught his disciples so long ago. We pray that you would give us the Holy Spirit, Lord, and we pray that his spirit would be at work in your word. Father, that as we hear your word preached, 
that it would, your word through the power of your spirit, would make us more and more like Jesus, that you would knock down the walls that need to be knocked down in our life, that you would convict us of the sins that we've gone comfortable with, and that you would build us up to look more like Jesus. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us now, we pray. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, last week, we went to, uh, some of us went to Nickelmania, which is this arcade just down the street on Old Bingham Highway. And it's actually the first time we'd ever been there. And it was pretty fun. It's a lot nicer inside than it looks on the outside. And one of the first games my kids played there was this arcade game that had a big plunger thing uh, that you pushed down and it spun this drum or this wheel. And on the wheel, there are a bunch of markings, kind of think like the price is right wheel. And depending on where the wheel ended, there was an arrow pointing to how many tickets you would win. And so Hannah got there and she pushed the, uh, the, the plunger down, the wheel spun, and then it landed on jackpot 100 tickets. I was like, that's crazy. I, I was not expecting that. And so, and then it said, oh, free turn. And so then she gets another spin, goes around, and it lands again, jackpot, 100 tickets. Like, wow, this is amazing. Next stop, Vegas. So then she spins it again, and it lands on 10 tickets. Okay, well, that's still pretty good. Like, she might actually get a good prize here. But then when we checked the tickets, which aren't spit out on the machine, but are electronically accrued on a card, we scanned it through the reader, and it said, 18 tickets. And we were kind of confused. Hannah was a little upset. She felt gypped. She wanted me to go talk you know, to the, one of the workers. What happened to the rest of her tickets? Well, as the night went on, I was kind of watching that game, and a surprising number of people landed in that space. Well, that's odd. So I decided I'm going to try it myself. Uh, I borrowed Luke's card, swiped it, and I spun the wheel, and it landed right below jackpot. And I think I got like uh, 15 tickets or something like that. And then I noticed this little detail that we'd missed before. Though the words jackpot 100 tickets were big, and as big as all the other markings for where you could win the prizes, when you actually followed the lines by where the arrow pointed, the line shrunk down to about an inch. And on either side of that line hidden in smaller print was four ticket prize. <laughs> and it had tricked us. And then the thing that made it even more sinister though, is that on the four-ticket prize, it says free spin. You don't actually get the free spin if you hit the jackpot. And so the free spin got you excited, which distracted you to keep you from looking that closely. So you spin it again, not ever knowing you didn't actually land on the jackpot. You know, so often we can get tricked in life, whether at an arcade game or something else. But I think we come to this passage, and probably some of you felt like you've been tricked by God when it comes to prayer. You read this, and it seems so, Jesus' words are just audacious. Like, how he, what's the fine print? This can't be right. Maybe you've tried to pray this way, and you're disappointed because God hasn't answered your prayers like you wanted. And you're feeling tricked by God. Either we come to a passage like this, every, I've actually avoided preaching on this passage for a while because I didn't know what to do with it. You either kind of take these words maximally true and, and tell everyone, well, if you just do what it says, ask, seek, knock, and you will get that thing that you've been praying for. And if you don't, well, it's probably because you didn't have enough faith and it's your fault. Or probably more likely in our tradition, we read a passage like this and we feel the need to add so much nuance and fine print to Jesus' words to correct his seemingly reckless language 
that we end up saying, well, actually, if you look closely, you landed on a four-ticket prize. But you do get a free spin, so there's that. What do we do on this passage of, on prayer? Well, let's jump in and, and look at it, but here's what I want you to remember. Keep praying because God really does care for you. That's what we're going to learn here. Keep praying because God really does care for you. And so we'll look at this two ways. First, a model of prayer, and then a principle of prayer. So the model. One day, Jesus is off praying, which he did somewhat regularly, it seems, and his disciples could maybe hear him. They see him pray. And something about listening to him pray opens up these new depths of prayer that maybe they didn't know about before. Have any of you ever been in the presence where you're praying with someone else? And there's a depth and richness to their prayer that it leaves you longing. You say, I wish I could pray like that. I want to grow in my ability to pray. And the disciples hear Jesus pray, and, and that's what they experience. And so one of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, well, Lord, teach us to pray, like John taught his disciples. Are you around others in your life that lead you to want to have a richer prayer life? Are, are you praying with other believers and around other believers that you hear their prayers, and it makes you want to pray more. We should be. We see also that prayer is something that can be taught, something that we can grow in. Do you have a desire to grow in prayer? Think of over the last couple of years. Are there places in your life where you've seen yourself growing in prayer? You've seen a depth of growth and depth of prayer. Maybe you realize, you know, I've actually been kind of stale in my prayer life stagnant, and I need to grow in prayer. It's interesting that Jesus takes this long to teach his disciples to pray. This is a, a good while into Jesus' ministry, and, and apparently it wasn't one of the first things he taught, but he waited until they asked him about it, and then he taught them. Do you need to grow in prayer? Do you have a desire to grow in prayer? In a very practical way to grow in prayer is do it with others. Pray with other believers. Uh, yeah, every Sunday, we have a, a pre-service prayer time at 8.45, and right at that uh, 8.45, we kick off, we pray for 15 minutes, and when it strikes 9, we finish up. And there's a great opportunity for you to meet with some other mature believers and listen to them pray. Pray with them. Grow in your prayer language. And, you know, you probably can't do that every week, but imagine if every one of us committed to going to that once a month. I'm going to join that prayer meeting and grow in my ability to pray. So Jesus responds to the request. He answers their prayer in some sense. And he says, when you pray, and then he gives the Lord's Prayer. But kind of. Like it's shorter. We read through it, and it probably sounded different than the Lord's Prayer you're used to. It's different than the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, different than how churches usually recite it. And, and it shows on one hand that the Lord's Prayer isn't this kind of formula, something you know, like out of Harry Potter that you have to say it just right with the right rhythm and incantation for it to work. No, it's a template for what healthy prayer looks like. And yet at the same time, Jesus does say, when you pray, say. Which is, means it's also okay to just simply recite this prayer. Maybe that's all you can do. Maybe starting off, it is just reading this prayer is what you need to do. It's kind of like your car's alignment. After, you know, too many uh, corners cut short and curbs hit as you're trying to parallel park, eventually, you know, your steering wheel is going to come out of alignment with your wheels. And you've got to turn your steering wheel to the left an inch for your car to be traveling straight down the road. But it doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. And so you get used to it, and you don't realize you're doing that as you drive. 
and you need to get the alignment checked. The Lord's Prayer helps check the alignment of our prayer life. It gives you a measure from which you can hold your prayer life up to to see where am I in alignment with God? Where do my prayers tilt too much to the left? And I've got to bring them back in. I would encourage you to even do a prayer diagnostic this week. Look at the elements in this prayer and ask yourself, are these elements in my prayers? Or have I gotten out of alignment some way? And then seek to realign your prayers with what's in this prayer. And it will feel uncomfortable. Just like, even if you think you're in good shape, if you, haven't, if you go to the gym for the first time in six months, you're going to wake up sore. It's just life. And in the same way, it will feel awkward to start praying again or praying in these new ways. But God doesn't want you to give up, but to grow in prayer. So I want to run through uh, the elements of this prayer very briefly because there's a lot of resources out there that can help look uh, more deeply into this. Uh, just a couple. Uh, one, Nate McNeil, one of our elders, has made a prayer guide that he's working on. Uh, going through the Lord's Prayer based off that and based off the Psalms. And I'm sure he'd be willing to share an early version with you. He's nodding, so you can get that. <laughs> uh, please ask him. There you go. There's a prayer guide uh, that can help you pray and grow in your ability to pray through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 186 to 196, which you can get for free online. It goes through each section of the Lord's Prayer and gives you a nice paragraph of what does this mean? How does it inform your prayer life? Maybe you take one of those each day and use that to help grow your prayer language. Well, let's run through it real quick. It first opens with the word Father. We can run over this quickly, but this is like the key that opens up the door of prayer. This is the basis for why God will hear and answer your prayers. He is a good Father. Now, to call God Father, that's not something that all of us can do, but you must be adopted into his family. You must be adopted so that you can call him Father. It means that you are a Christian, that you trust in Jesus, and then you gain access to calling God Father. Hallowed be your name. These opening statements give us a pop proper posture for prayer. Right? This is the setup before you make the swing. You need to have your feet in the right place, your body aligned. This is crucial for what is to come later in the prayer. Do you care more about God's name or your name? Your kingdom come. Again, this is part of the posture of prayer. Prayer is helping you learn how to make God's purposes what you want more than your own. Do you long for God's kingdom to come? Or are your prayers so wrapped up in your kingdom coming, your plans for your life? What about when your plans collide with God's plans? We've got to remember Jesus' words when he's facing the horrors of the cross. And what does he pray? Abba, Father, everything is possible for me, but take this cup from me. But yet not what I will, but what you will be done. Give us each day our daily bread. We should make our requests known to God. And yet, even in asking for this, it's not like the person is asking for a month's supply of bread. <clears throat> it's asking for this immediate need that God supplies your daily bread. Which it's so easy to forget about daily bread today. Right? We've lost the touch. Who needs daily bread when you have Costco? And yet, even aren't, isn't Costco 
a grace from God, right? That we have access to where you can go and buy a month's supply of bread and take it home. That is God's grace. Don't forget that. You know, actually, everything that's happened these past couple of years, she has been reminding us that for as much as we think we can control with global supply chains and worldwide shipping and all this stuff, we are actually in very little control of what happens. And maybe the answer for Christians in, as we are reminded of that, is not to go and do what everyone else does, which is, I'm going to go stock up more and buy more, so I'm taken care of. But maybe it's to go back to the basics and remember that God has always been our provider. And he will fill our pantries. And he's the one that gives us daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. We have a prayer of confession each week in our service, but is there confession of sin in your own prayer life throughout the week? Are you examining your own soul and your own heart and seeking forgiveness on Monday to Saturday? There's a link here as well between your willingness to forgive others and how much you realize you need to be forgiven. Do you struggle to forgive people? Do you have kind of a long list of people in your past that you still hold a grudge against? And maybe the answer to being free from that is not to spend more time thinking about how they've wronged you, but digging a little bit deeper into your own heart to see how much you've wronged God. And yet he still forgives you. And if he has given you that grace, how can you not then forgive others? And lead us not into temptation. Are you self-aware of what temptations you are susceptible to? And that's part of what it means to grow as a Christian. If you aren't, spend some weeks some time this week thinking about that. Right? There may be some things that are very tempting to others that don't affect you, but then there are probably other things that they might glance over, but yet it's your weak spot. Or do you ask God, God, please protect me from this temptation? Right? Whether it's money, security, recognition, comfort, success, sexual sins, acceptance from others. Where are you weak? And there you should be asking God, please deliver me from these temptations. So that's an overview, very short overview of this prayer. Let's move to the second half of the passage, the principle of prayer. So Jesus starts with this story of a neighbor. Visitors show up late, and the host welcomes these guests, but he doesn't have anything to feed them. And you know, maybe less so now, we have little vestiges of this in our culture, but in cultures where you had to walk places when you traveled, it was you know, on your own energy, it was basic hospitality was you fed people when they got there because they were tired after a long day of walking. But this man has nothing to feed them, his, his guests, so he doesn't want to be embarrassed, so he runs over to his neighbor at midnight, knocks on the door, and says, hey, Bob, do you have any bread we could borrow? I need to feed my guests. Now, and you can imagine the situation. Jesus kind of gives us the picture, right? Like, you know what time it is? Why are you waking me up now? My kids are sleeping. You're going to you know, wake them all up. I'm in my PJs. Can't this wait till tomorrow? But that's Jesus' point here. He says, because the neighbor is banging on his door at midnight, this must be important to the neighbor. This must be important to the host. And simply because he had the audacity to bang on his neighbor's door at midnight, he's probably going to get what he wants just to get him to leave. Not necessarily because he cares so much about the situation. And then Jesus says this astounding thing about it. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seeking you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus is saying, guess what? That's how prayer works. You knocking on the door and saying, I need this. Now, 
Is it really that simple? Because I know it's not that simple for me and probably for many of you. You've been asking for some things for years, and you still don't have it. Right? Like, is, is Jesus tricking you? Is it like, it looks like, oh yeah, your, your prayer, you know, it got on the, your spin just landed on jackpot, 100 tickets. And then every pastor after him has to come in and say, well, actually, if you look at the fine print, it's just four tickets, but you do get a free spin. This is the key challenge in this passage. Like, isn't Jesus just leading us to disappointment? Like, if it was just this easy in prayer, why do all of us have lists of prayers that we're still waiting for answers on? We've asked, we've been waiting, and the door is still locked tight. Maybe you've given up asking because you don't want to get your hopes up and you don't want to be disappointed again. So what do we make of Jesus' words here? Well, first, I think it's appropriate to add some fine print because we need to interpret Jesus' words within the rest of the passage and within the rest of Scripture. And even within the passage, we see some nuance to what he's saying. Because he gives this right after the Lord's Prayer. We need to interpret this in light of the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, what's the request? Well, one of them is for daily bread. And then Jesus tells a story of a man needing daily bread. Jesus doesn't tell a story of a guy banging on his neighbor's door at midnight, asking for bread for guests that are coming three weeks from now. No, it's, these people are in my house, I need to feed them. And, you know, one of the things I've thought about, I perhaps have a perspective that none of you do, just seeing all that happens in our congregation. And probably every month, if I were to think about it, there are particular needs for people in the congregation that they don't know how will get answered. Maybe it's needs, uh, financial needs for rent, other needs. And it amazes me how often those things get answered in one way or another. And if you could have a perspective of God's people, you would be amazed at how often God is answering these prayers for daily bread. On one hand, the problem is so few of us ever get to that point where we have those needs. And yet when we do, God is faithful to take care of us. More broadly, Jesus is saying this in light of the entire Lord's Prayer, which has a number of requests besides just daily bread. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Forgive me. Lead me not in temptation. Are you looking for answers to those types of prayers? Right? So often when we pray, what we're just looking for answers for our requests, for stuff, or for this thing to change. But are, are you looking for answers to your prayers for God's name to be hallowed, for you to be forgiven? Are you even praying for those sort of things and looking for God to answer them? I mean, how many times have you come to the end of your day and you, you put your head on your pillow and say, Lord, thank you that I had enough food today. Like, that is so out of our minds, right? Because we're so used to it. And yet, that's God's grace. We aren't starving. We have an excess of food. How many times have you get on, on your way home from work and you're thinking of everything that happened, and you say, Lord, thank you that I was able to forgive this person today at work. Because, you know, two weeks ago, I got really mad and I blew up and I chewed him out or whatever, thank you, Lord, that I could forgive them. Are you looking for those types of answers? Are you asking even for that type of growth in your life? And then we should remember this passage in light of another passage like James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
I mean, how many of our requests that we make to God are skipping those first couple opening lines of the Lord's Prayer? His name be hallowed, his kingdom come. And really, we just wrap our prayers in holy language for things that we want for us, for my kingdom to come, my name to be hallowed. Now, we are great, you know, at the PR spin of it, of saying, no, this is really about God. I want this because of God. Imagine, if I made this much money, imagine how much I could give away. It sounds so good and, and righteous, and yet the lack of generosity that you have right now when you don't have much money betrays your heart. It's not really about being generous to God. It's about you getting more and giving God those leftovers. Or we say things, you know, if my work could just change and I'd have this extra time, then I could spend this extra time reading my Bible and doing these good things for God. And yet your lack of doing that right now when you don't have those things shows that's not what really is most important. What you care about is yourself and your own plans more than God's plans. So with some appropriate nuance, what is Jesus saying here? Is Jesus like that charismatic religious leader who promises, you know, God will heal your sickness if you just come forward and have faith. And if you didn't get healed, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Or is Jesus doing some sort of sleight of hand where it looks like you won 100 tickets, but then if you look closer, he says, actually, read the fine print. Four, four tickets, but free spin. I think there's actually a really satisfactory explanation for us to understand this passage. That Jesus is saying these big, bold, audacious things because he has an insight into God's character that none of us do. He knows God's heart towards you. He knows how seriously he takes your requests. Right? We only see the half of it. Our, our prayers go up behind the curtain into this black box, and we don't know what is happening. You know, for all you know, you think God treats prayers like some people treat the comment box, right? And just get everyone's comments and throw it into the dumpster once a quarter. And no, Jesus sees what happens behind the curtain. He knows the care with which God handles your requests. He knows that God has not forgotten a single one of those requests. Now, we don't know what is happening behind the scenes. We don't see God's purposes, and so we always jump to the worst, right? Well, I knew I'm not good enough for God to answer my prayers. I knew God wouldn't do this to me. God doesn't really like me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care what I want. But Jesus sees what happens where we can't see. And he says, he knows, he can say this, because he sees that God has written down every single one of your prayers in his book. He's kept them in his ledger, and he's waiting for just the right time to respond to them. As I work through this passage, I think this passage gives us one of the greatest insights into the heart of God. The only way that Jesus can say this crazy statement that seems just over the top to us is if he knows God's heart, if he knows how God will work it all out in the end, if he knows what God is doing that you can't see and that is leading you to distrust him and be skeptical of him. It shows how much God listens to the prayers of even sinners. And do you notice that? When Jesus is addressing his disciples at the end of the passage, he calls them evil. And the point of this is, that this is not how God answers the prayers of the 1%, the top prayers in the world. This is how God treats the prayers 
of those people who are screw-ups and even sinners. Do you see how much God loves to hear your prayers even though you can't stop sinning? And I would guess if you could see the entire arc that your life takes from the beginning to the end and actually see it all put together, you would be surprised by how many times God does answer your prayers and in the amazing ways that he does it. But we're so wrapped up in the right now, right? and I want it answered today. But do you pray with the expectation that God has taken note of every prayer, even the ones that you mutter under your breath and have forgotten about? Or do you kind of pray like Eeyore, who you know, you think, well, I kind of want something nice. Yeah, that'd be nice, but God probably won't do it, so I won't ever ask him or then you do ask him and say, ah, I know I shouldn't have asked him because I knew he wouldn't say yes. Or do you pray that God's eyes are on you and he's the best dad there is and he is working in your life something beyond what you can imagine and he does it in a way that your prayers more and more start to sync up with it. And that's what makes this passage so striking. In this last section, Jesus makes this other comparison. If your child asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If she asks for an egg, will you give her a scorpion? And if you who are evil try to fulfill your child's requests, and certainly don't give them the opposite of their requests, hey son, I know it's your birthday, I know you really wanted a new bike, but I found this tumbleweed outside and I thought you would like that just as much. Like, even bad parents still try to get their kids something they'll like. How much more will a good parent give you what you long for? Now, but... But our longings need to be matched up with God's. Deep down, though, I think so many of us, because maybe of years of it feeling like prayers just getting sent off into space and getting lost up there, we fear that God will give us a snake when we ask for a fish. If you think of even the imagery, right, if you could just see a tiny little section of fish scales, it would be really hard to differentiate them from snake scales. And picture it, right? How many times do you risk asking God for something? And you see those scales, and you automatically jump to the worst. I knew he'd give me a snake again. Why did I get my hopes up? And yet, if you could see the big picture and see the rest of what God's doing, you would see how he's answering so many of your requests in ways beyond what you expected. As one old hymn puts it, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread, are big with mercy, and shall break in blessings on your head. Notice one last thing here. Jesus doesn't end this passage saying, how much more will your Father give you all the things that you asked for? But what does he say? How much more will your Father give you the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him. There's a difference there, right? And it shows the priority by which God answers his prayers. He is going to answer your prayers in a way that will mold you more and more into the image of Christ. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, if every single one of my prayers got answered today, it would probably draw me further away from Christ 
because so many of those prayers are me trying to manage things that I need to trust God with. Me trying to control my life and have month's supply of bread instead of trusting him for daily bread. And he holds those things back because he knows that in the long run, the things you are so convinced you need right now, he knows will actually lead you away from what will be best for a lifetime. And prayer is where we grow to align our hearts more and more with God's. Prayer is where God takes all those things that you've been asking for and he puts them on the shelf waiting to give them back at just the right time. Prayer is that process by which God takes your concerns, the pourings of your heart, and he takes them, puts them on a shelf, puts them in his bottle, and gets to work to shaping your life and your character to be ready to receive the good gifts that God has promised you. Think of all the prayers that you've forgotten in life. God hasn't forgotten a single one of them. He's shaping your life in order to be able to receive the good and unimaginable blessings that he's put into your life, that he's going to put into your life. And how much more would you pray if you really believe down deep that God has your best interests in mind? And that he doesn't just listen to you, he's like, all right, you know, when will John shut up and stop telling me all the things he wants so I can just give him what he needs? But in this amazing way, he takes your wants, he molds your heart, and he puts them into this harmony of blessing that will yield more than if it was just your way and your time, your place. God is looking at the whole of your life. Right? And there are some prayers that maybe five years ago were so important to you, and now you look back at them and you realize, well, that was kind of silly. And God saw that, and that's why he didn't answer them back then. Maybe there's things in your life that you've prayed for that if you could just see the whole picture that God sees, you would realize that what you want isn't what you most need, and you would pray differently. And God answers your prayers in light of the big picture. And then there will be things in your life after years of waiting for, God has so shaped you that you're ready to receive them, but in ways that are probably different from what you first longed for. And then there are things in our life that are long past being answered. Those requests have gone down to the grave, maybe literally. But what does Jesus say at the end of this passage? That you'll still get his Holy Spirit. And that is always worth it. Because he will change your heart, change your mind, change your longings, and show you that he is the source of life and love, and he is the, the fountain of eternal blessing. Tim Keller puts it this way in his book on prayer. Prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our lives. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to.